You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, we do indeed hunger for you. Would you satisfy our hunger as we read and hear your word and hear your voice um, by your word proclaimed this morning? Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, in the, the background of the uh, entire New Testament, entire Bible, uh, uh, but in the new background of the New Testament and in the background of the gospel message of Jesus Christ for us, there's also uh, a warning and uh, promises related to it uh, that there is an upcoming judgment at the end of history. The, the gospel wouldn't be good news if, if uh, Christ's life, death, and resurrection didn't satisfy what we know that is up ahead. Uh, the gospel of Jesus isn't good news without also Christ's return as reigning king of heaven and earth to judge all people, both living and dead. And without this information, the gospel's often uh, reduced to just a therapeutic feel-good message. As uh, theologian uh, H. Richard Niebuhr, whom I'm sure you all are acquainted with, um, H. Richard Niebuhr uh, was a a professor at Yale Divinity School. Uh, His brother, Ronald Niebuhr, is more famous than him, uh, but H. Richard Niebuhr had this great quote describing early 20th century Protestantism at the time that was was reducing the gospel to this feel-good message And he described it like this, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Let me read that one more time. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. And he said this, by the way, uh, while teaching at Yale Divinity School, which I can totally bag on because I'm an alum of Yale Divinity School. And and Yale, strangely enough, now totally embodies that message that he was uh, standing up against in in such a quote. And their largest lecture hall is named for him, which I think is funny. Whenever I get into the the territory, though, of discussing end times or the the second coming or describing the afterlife, I get nervous. I get really nervous because we we have just enough information in the Bible to know that these things are a reality. There's enough information in there to take them seriously, uh, and uh, there's even some concrete details for us. Yet much of what we know is often vague or symbolic, uh, uh, the book that has much of the, the information about end times, of course, is, is Revelation, which is tricky. And uh, there's also, but there's also end times information in Paul's letters. It's also in Peter. It's in uh, the author of the Hebrews, just to name a few. Uh, but it's in the, the Gospels also. We have teachings from Jesus Christ himself about his own return. Um, and uh, this includes some things to take seriously about judgment, its, its timing, and the destiny of all people. And Matthew's gospel in particular has the, the most information of all the four gospels about uh, this second coming of Jesus Christ. Especially here, what we had today in our gospel reading is what's called the Olivet Discourse in chapters 24 and 25. It's called the Olivet Discourse because he's preaching Another Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew in 24 and 25 on the Mount of Olives. Um, 
And we're picking up today, unhelpfully, in the middle of chapter 24. Uh, I say unhelpfully because, of course, there's a, there's a large, much larger context of these two chapters and some that's already come. And even going all the way back to chapter 21, just to give you some context, it's helpful to see that in Matthew's gospel, in chapters 21 through 23, Jesus has been teaching and through his teaching provoking opposition at the temple in Jerusalem. And then, uh, if you do have a Bible, you can see this. If you go to the very beginning of chapter 24, Jesus leaves the temple after he's been teaching there, uh, and people are opposing him. They don't like what he's saying. Uh, and remember, uh, he's, he's there at the temple, and the temple is the center of the Jewish religion and worship, the place where they believe the very presence of God resided on earth. And while leaving the temple... Jesus' disciples marvel at the buildings. You know, they're at the corner of 6th and 20th, and they go, look at this building. It's so beautiful, right? I mean, they're doing that kind of thing. They're sort of, after all, the, after all this teaching, and they're leaving, and they're marveling at the buildings of the, um, of the temple. And to this, Jesus tells them, do you see all these, these buildings? Do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Uh, he's saying this isn't permanent. And actually, this, the, the thing that he says will come much sooner uh, than, than you might expect. Um, and let's, so let's, let's pause here for a little bit because there's, there's so much debate over this, uh, this one verse uh, where Jesus is talking about the temple there at the beginning of uh, chapter 24. Um, because what we believe about this one verse says a lot about what we, uh, who we believe Jesus is and, and the, the date of Matthew's gospel. Because in A.D. 70, actually, which is about 40 years after the, the final events of this gospel, the Roman army entered Jerusalem, looted the temple of all its holy items, and did, in fact, completely destroy all the buildings of the temple. Um, about approximately 40 years after Jesus said this, it came true by way of Rome, the Roman army, that these buildings were destroyed and all the holy things inside of them were taken away, taken to Rome. If you actually believe that Jesus is the all-knowing God, you will have no problem dating Matthew's gospel as prior to AD 70. Uh, because you will believe that, of course, if he's, he's the all-knowing God, he would know that s- such a thing would come to pass, and it did. And there's actually good evidence for this based on other observations in uh, Matthew's gospel. And so uh, what we have here is one end-time uh, prophecy that has actually been fulfilled. The, one of the, th- the very first things that he describes there in chapter 24 actually came to pass. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> this means that uh, all the days since Jesus' first coming, his first advent, his, uh, his, his life there where he was crucified and, and risen, that first advent, all, those, all the days since his first coming until his second return is what he calls uh, here in this chapter and what John also calls in Revelation the tribulation. We're living in the tribulation period. The, the, prophecy, the prophecies here in, in Matthew 24 and 25 apply to us. We're, we're in the midst. It's been going on for, for 2,000 years. And we saw the first fruits of it with Rome uh, sacking Jerusalem and destroying the temple. And if one of the prophecies has already been fulfilled, chances are, chances are the others will be too. If one of the prophecies there in chapter 24 has already been fulfilled... 
chances are that the others will be too. And right after Jesus makes this prophecy about the temple, he goes uh, to the Mount of Olives, and there the disciples ask him two questions. And this is the very beginning of chapter 24. They say, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the end of the age? And the next two chapters, 24 and 25, are his answer, his long answer to these two questions. What, uh, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And although the, the answers are somewhat vague and often symbolic, there's enough here to take it seriously. And if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, there's uh, no other warning message that you will uh, ever receive in your whole life that will be more important than what he's saying here. You know, this is more important than any other caution sign. You know, the caution sign when the floor's wet, you know, don't walk here, you'll slip, you pay attention to that. Or you're on the interstate and they have the you know lights flashing, warning, traffic up ahead, take another route, you pay attention to that. This is more important than, far more important, the, the warning message here in chapter 24 than, than anything uh, like that. Um, and I don't have enough time to get into all the details of this whole chapter, so I just want to pull out the uh, one particular warning of verses 36 through 44 that we had today in our passage, which deals with the timing the timing of Jesus' return. And the short answer to the timing is that we don't know precisely. Even Jesus doesn't know. Did you catch that? Jesus doesn't even, only the Father knows. Angels don't know. Jesus himself, the Son, doesn't know. Only the Father knows. Uh, and everyone who's, who's tried to make predictions so far, you know, 2000, was it, is it going to be 2012, Y2K or something like that? Everybody's failed. Everyone who's tried to guess you know, the, the, the signs, you know, uh, Hitler, is that the man of lawlessness? Turns out maybe he wasn't, you know? I mean, that, so what's up ahead? That's scary. Um, but everybody who's tried to make predictions in the past about the timing has, has failed. And if anybody's telling you that, you know, it's 2020, the 2020 vision is Jesus is coming or something like that. I don't know. I just made that up. Their chances are they might be wrong, right? Um, uh, that because so far everybody else has failed, uh, but it will happen. And, uh, when it happens, there will be warning signs and there are some things that, uh, must happen first. And when it happens, it will be unexpected for some, for many. And most heartbreakingly, it will catch some who claim to follow Jesus off guard. That's what's described here. That's the most heartbreaking part. The unexpected nature of the coming, uh, in spite of the, the warning signs, and some who claim to follow Jesus are going to be caught off guard by uh, his return. So let me just read, now that I've said all that, let's just read it again with fresh eyes, our passage today, which is, uh, well, it's in your bulletin, but verses 36 through, what was it, 44, I think. Is that right? Um, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, I mean, which, by the way, uh, is a total side note that Jesus believed the flood happened and that Noah was a historic figure. But that's another sermon. Um, but he's saying that uh, the, his coming will be like the flood and only eight people were prepared. 
Uh, everybody else was unprepared and caught off guard by it. People usually try to tell sort of an apocryphal story. It's not in the Bible that people were laughing at Noah because he was building the ark. That's never described in the Bible. But it seems that uh, no one was prepared for the flood to come. And he's equating his second coming with the flood. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding the mill. One will be taken and one left. So people who, uh, who know each other, who are in relationship, uh, uh, some will, uh, will, will be prepared for the coming and some won't be expected and won't be expecting it and will be bad news. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's coming like a thief in the night, um, and, and, and to be prepared that a thief might, might come this evening. Um, if, if unaware, uh, you'll, you'll be in trouble about what's going to happen in the middle of the night. So he's using these different metaphors of, uh, with relating his coming with Noah, the people who are laboring side by side, one's expecting it, the other isn't. Uh, or, or like someone who isn't prepared for a burglar to come into their house. <clears throat> um, now let me connect it to to us, to to uh, for for you, for our for our day and age. And I am mostly uninformed about the details of what I'm about to say, and so please forgive me. Um, but people tell me I'm uninformed because about for about a year now I haven't watched TV which is crazy how much these days happens in one year, you know. Um, it used to be you just missed a season of Friends at Seinfeld, and you could kind of catch up through reruns um, on UHF. But, uh, but now you just miss so much if you don't watch TV for a year. But people tell me that there's, there are presently more television shows than ever that deal with eternity right now, that there are several shows that deal with kind of afterlife sort of stuff from a secular point of view, uh, Miracle Workers, The Good Place, Russian Doll, Forever, the, and Leftovers. I haven't seen any of this. Maybe you have. Uh, are there others that I'm not mentioning? But th- these are several shows that are happening right now that deal with the topic of eternity. Um, and I have two observations about this phenomenon. There, there's something particularly apocalyptic about the vibe of our current day and age. And I think that that's probably what's what's uh, causing these shows uh, to come about. You know, there are rumors of wars, there's tribulation, you know, multiple men of lawlessness who, who are in power. Uh, these kinds of things that I think are in the background that are, are making people want to produce these types of shows. Here's my second more important observation, though. There, there's pretty much nothing biblical from the description of these shows that I read online. I haven't watched a single episode, but this is just what I've read. Uh, and this is no surprise, you know. I mean, of course, they're not going to – it'll be more cliche than it is biblical, these shows. But uh, popular culture does do a lot to catechize our beliefs. That often – I have conversations with people, and it seems that, that you know, their, their worldview is more shaped by things like television than it is uh, the Bible or Christianity. Uh, so just know, based on what I read, that uh, it, most of these, the content of these shows doesn't seem biblical at all. What I read online makes these shows seem misled or sort of banal, uh, nihilistic, kind of sentimental on some ends. 
Some are meant to entertain you by comedy that, that appears uh, blasphemous. Uh, the description of Steve Buscemi being God in one of the shows seems pretty blasphemous to me. Um, but uh, And others are, are horrifically depressing with uh, mind games about sort of meaning and whatnot. And meanwhile, uh, we do know some of the truth about the end and the general shape of its timing, mostly that many people will not be ready in the same way that only eight people in Noah's family were ready for the flood. Uh, So the most natural way that I know how to sort of bring this sermon to a close, and the question that our passage today begs for all of us is, are you ready for Christ's return? Are you ready for Christ's return? It, It could be right now. Who knows? It might come after you die. But if Christ were to return in your lifetime, are, are you ready for that? One of my favorite parts of the Bible is Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul loves the Philippians. I mean, he really lays it into the Corinthians and the Galatians. But his relationship with the Philippians is he's on really good terms with them. And he, he calls them partners in ministry. He talks about rejoicing. There's a lot of joy in the letter to Philippians. He has the kind of relationship with the Philippians that I would love to have with all of you. you know. Uh, and, and the, and, and, but I bring in Philippians because uh, uh, Philippians has uh, one of the most in-depth treatments of uh, perseverance. Uh, or endurance to the end, you know, between now where you are and either Christ's return or your death of uh, holding fast to the faith that you once accepted. Paul has in Philippians one of the most beautiful um, and uh, most in-depth treatments of that topic. And he says this, this is in uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, uh, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, from uh, passages like Matthew uh, 24 and 25 and what we've just read here in Philippians 3, we see there are really only two options in life. When it comes down to, I mean, there are so many choices that you can make in this world, but there are only two real big options in this life. And let's, let's call the, the, the first option the blue pill, okay? I'm channeling Morpheus from my favorite movie, The Matrix. And let's call the second option the, uh, the red pill. 
Um, the, the first option, the blue pill, is to fall away from Jesus, returning to the earthly comforts of this life, and meanwhile becoming an enemy of the cross of Christ. And the second option, the red pill, is to forget what lies behind us in life and instead strain forward to the grace of God, uh, by the grace of God to what lies ahead, an eternal inheritance we have through Jesus Christ who will return as our king. And if you choose the, uh, the first option, the blue pill, which is the, the, the better option, the worst option, um, your life here and now uh, could, be, uh, could likely very well be very comfortable with the, um, with the blue pill option. Your belly may be full, as Paul describes in Philippians. You may have great earthly riches. You may even have worldly security. You might even die in a pleasant state of luxury if Christ doesn't return before you die. If you choose the, the second option, the red pill option, the, the better option, your citizenship will be secured in heaven. And your uh, failing mortal body will be transformed into a glorious eternal body. And if Christ happens to return before you die an earthly death, you will have nothing, to, absolutely nothing to worry about. When he comes, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, may it be so for each and every one of us and all our friends and family in the whole city of Birmingham, the Cathedral Church of the Advent, that, um, that when you come, uh, when we, we send your son to come again, um, that we would be welcomed with open arms into eternity uh, and help us to, to uh, live in light of this hope that we have in the same way that Paul described to us in Philippians chapter 3. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.